is the King. He is the Lamb. He was slain. He rose in victory. He is our hope. He is seated on the throne, and He is coming again, and He is worthy of all of our praise. And so it's good uh, to remember this and to sing about this. I hope that you're able to come and join us again tomorrow as we celebrate uh, particularly His birth, but we know the whole story that His birth is only a part of it, and He is worthy of us getting together to remember and to sing. We know all of this uh, by faith. It's written to us in the Word of God. There were many witnesses. Uh, it's been written down. But in the end, we, we take this all by faith. And the sermon series that we've been in now during this series of Advent, the weeks leading up to Christmas, is a sermon series called By Faith. We've looked through Hebrews chapter 11, where we got a definition of faith. Faith being the assurance of things hoped for, and the conviction of things not seen. And we were told that we are, as God's people, commended by faith. Though we deserve the condemnation of God, we who trust in Jesus are, instead of being condemned by God, commended by God by faith. And then we walked for the last weeks through these examples, example after example, in the Old Testament of people who lived by faith faith. Here's what it looks like to live by faith. And I think it was certainly necessary for the people to whom the letter of Hebrews was written. You remember that they were persecuted Christians suffering for their faith. And the message of the book of Hebrews was a reminder to them that Jesus is so much better. So rest in Him. Press on together by faith. Don't turn back. He's worth it. He is worthy. It was the message really of Hebrews chapter 11. And so today we're going to look at just the next two verses after chapter 11. And I think really fitting for us this Christmas season to be looking at these because they are a reminder to us of the application of what we saw in Hebrews chapter 11. And in Hebrews 11, all of these examples are followed up by two verses that really help us to see and help them to see. Here's Here's what you need to do with all of that. Praise God that he's given us so many examples, this great cloud of witnesses that is surrounding us. Here's then what we do. That's what Hebrews 12, 1 to 2 is. And and the message is going to be this. Look to Jesus. This is what we do. We look to Jesus. That was the message of the song that they just sang. That's the message I want to leave us with as we prepare for Christmas Eve tomorrow and Christmas Day to follow That is this message we need to look to Jesus. Amidst all the other things that can distract us and weigh us down, we need to be people who look to Jesus. So hopefully we'll be encouraged to do that as we look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 today. title of the message is, So Run, Looking to Jesus. If you have a Bible with you, open it up to Hebrews chapter 12. And if you're able to, would you stand as we read God's Word together. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I'm going to pray, and then we'll read God's Word. Father, thank You. Thank You for giving us the Son. And thank You for giving us Your Spirit. And I pray that Your Spirit would be at work in and around each of us in this place now this morning. And that Your Spirit would do the work of glorifying Your Son helping us to see and to believe that He is worthy. He's worthy for us to look to to be saved, and He's worthy for us to look to 
to grow, that we might be people who spend the rest of our lives believing that Jesus is worthy and worshiping Him and telling others that He is worthy. God, help that work to begin in our hearts even now as Your Word is read and then preached. In Jesus' name, Amen. God's Word then from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. You can be seated. In your bulletin, uh, there is an outline, if that's helpful for you to follow along. We'll have some things on the screen as well. You'll see three points in there. And the first one, very simple, just two words. The first two words of this passage. These are a couple of my favorite verses of all of Scripture, but it's easy to forget and to, to fail to notice that it, it, the sentence begins with a connection, a strong connection to what came right before it. We have two words that indicate that, the word therefore and the word since. Therefore since. So that's the first point. Therefore since. In light of everything we just heard, remember that the people receiving the letter to the Hebrews, most of them had a Jewish background, and so they would have known what we call the Old Testament very well. And the examples that were given then all throughout Hebrews 11 of what it looks like to live by faith, they were examples coming from the Old Testament. And so as they get into the application of what does all that mean for us, what does it mean that Abraham lived by faith and Sarah lived by faith and Rahab lived by faith and Moses lived by faith and David lived by faith, what does that mean for us? Therefore, since, and then these words, therefore, since, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. A, a cloud, of, we don't usually use that language, but that was, I read about this, it was common language in that day, to refer to a crowd that was gathered around and standing closely to each other. There were so many people that, that they'd have to kind of stand shoulder to shoulder, they would use this term, a cloud of witnesses, kind of like this, this large mass, right? And so we're told, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. So witnesses are, are those who can testify to the truth of something, right? And so all of these people, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Rahab, all these people that we saw in Hebrews 11, they're forming, as it were, like this, this crowd watching the, the persecuted Christians, right, who feel like they're all alone. Can you imagine yourself being somebody who newly converted to faith in Christ and, and immediately upon converting to faith in Christ there in the first century, there would be consequences for that. You had, you had brothers and sisters in Christ being put to death for their faith, right? And you would feel very all alone. You could see why they'd be tempted to turn back. But he begins this encouragement by reminding them, you're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. There's a whole bunch of people cheering for you. You're going to notice as we go through this passage, there's a lot of running language. 
and there's a lot of things that, that I can't relate to as I read Scripture, but running is one thing that I can relate to, right? So th- this, is what, this is what I did. I'm not a good athlete who does things like moving side to side or involving balls. I can't do that very skillfully. But if you just like run in a straight line for the most part, I can do that. And so that's the kind of athlete I was. And so, so I, I think of this as I read this passage, and it's going to command us later to run with endurance. I, I think of this great cloud of witnesses back to my days in high school cross country. And, and during that time, as you ran along this course, there would always be people here and there scattered cheering for you, right? Some giving some encouraging word, uh, maybe clapping as you went by. But as you got closer and closer to the finish line, some of you have been in cross country or at a cross country meet, right? As you get closer to the finish line, there there becomes a a greater crowd, maybe a cloud of witnesses. Uh, And oftentimes if I was running varsity, the JV team would have run earlier and many of the people standing in that crowd would be our JV team. And they've already run this course, Right, and they would they would be testifying to the truth. Jeremy, four hundred meters. You got four hundred meters to go. You can do this. Push it. And so this great cloud of witnesses reminding me that hey, your teammates up there, you need to get up with him. We need these points. You got to go. And there's this adrenaline surge that comes when you recognize that you're not just out for a jog by yourself, but you're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses who have already been there, who know what's coming, and they tell you, go, we got to go now. Don't give up. Right? And you need that. That's the kind of picture I get as I read Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, these people... They've been there. Abraham was longing for a better city, and he's headed there. He he can tell you it's better. Stick with it. Keep running. Don't give up. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, I would just tell us really quickly as a point of application, we need to listen to the great cloud of witnesses. Pastor Stan announced a little bit ago, there's Bible reading plans available back there. I would encourage you, if you don't have one, that's what it looks like back there. I took a picture with my phone, and it's on the screen now, in case you didn't know what our welcome area looked like. Right back there, Bible reading plans. That that of all the things you could plan for in the next year, like I'm going to eat more nasty food like kale. Uh, Go ahead, that's fine. Eat more kale, but feed yourself with the Word of God. We need to recognize that as you sometimes walk by faith, seeking to to live by faith in Jesus, and you seek to to do it feeling sometimes very alone in that, that we need examples of a great cloud of witnesses. And we have not only the Old Testament like the recipients of Hebrews had. They had the Old Testament. We have the Old Testament and the New Testament. We have years of church history. You can read biographies of people who have lived by faith and be in encouraged by the great cloud of witnesses that has gone before us. We need to do that. That's one of the reasons that we encourage you to read the Word of God. Listen to the great cloud of witnesses. So, all this kind of like leading up to the commands that are about to come. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, we're still not done with verse 1, now we're going to start getting some commands. It's going to be three commands, really. Um, Well, two, depending on how you look at it. Probably two. And two parts to one of the commands. Okay? Here's the commands. Here's what we do. 
We lay aside and we run. First, laying aside. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, here goes first. Let us lay aside every weight. Let us also lay aside every weight. This idea, again, using this running analogy that the author is using, he's telling them, you don't want to run with an extra hindrance on. And so, again, kind of back to my running days, even on days where maybe the crowd that was gathered would be, would be you know, like wearing stocking caps and, and coats and, and gloves and all of that stuff, when you're going to go run a race, you take off as many of those layers as possible so that there's nothing hindering you from running that race. That's why runners wear embarrassingly short shorts, right? Uh, and I'm sorry if any of you saw me when I was marathon training and wearing those things. Uh, they're short, and, and you wear as little clothing as possible so that there's nothing hindering you, right? So let us also lay aside every weight, whatever it is that might hold you back as you seek to run a race, throw that off. Lay it aside is the first thing that they're encouraged with. And then also laying aside something else. So let us also lay aside every weight and also the sin which clings so closely. What's sin? Remember, sin is rebellion against God. Sin is not being and not doing what God requires. Sin is missing the mark, right? And we all sin. Even those who are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus, our sins are forgiven, all of our sin, past, present, and future, all of it forgiven, yet we, until Jesus returns, hold on to our old sin nature. Uh, sin's no longer our master, but it still clings closely, and so the author of Hebrews here reminds the Christians that you need to be of this work of laying aside not only weight, but also sin, which clings so closely. Don't, don't tolerate sin in your life, Christian. Don't think, well, it's not that big of a deal. I'm always going to deal with it. And so, no, he says, lay it aside. Lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. And so before we move on to the next part of the command, it would probably be wise for us to think a little bit for ourselves about what sin and what weight we might be carrying. Notice, and we're going to spend more time looking at this here in a little bit, but notice all of these uh, this is first person plural, not first person singular, if you're kind of a grammar nerd. Notice that it says, like, let us in all these things. Not, not, this is something for me to figure out on my own. But he's saying, let us. We're in this together, Christians, church. We're, we're in this together. Let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. So you need to ask yourself, we need to ask ourselves, what weight is it in my life that's hindering me from pursuing Jesus and running the race with endurance? What's holding me back? What do I need to lay aside? For many, I think in our day, it's a desire for comfort, uh, wealth, that kind of thing. That can hold us back from being obedient to Jesus. A desire for our own comfort and wealth can be a weight that we need to take off and lay aside. 
In some cases, it's unresolved stuff from the past. It's a weight. You haven't, you haven't properly dealt with it, and it becomes like a weight that holds you back from following Jesus. Maybe it's worries about the future. Constantly being anxious about things keeps us from pursuing Jesus and running the race with endurance. And sin. We need one another to fight sin. We need one another to point it out. Now, we have life groups, and I, and I hope much good takes place in a life group, but oftentimes in a group of maybe 10, 12 people is not the kind of space where somebody who's going to, to say to you something very specific about a sin that they see creeping up in your life. You're going to also need, church, some relationships with one or two other people who know you well enough and who have been invited into your life intentionally to help you to see the sin that clings so closely. You need somebody to help you check your motives sometimes. Maybe it's your spouse if you have one. Maybe it's someone else as well who helps you to recognize where there's selfish ambition that's creeping up. Just selfishness generally. Where there's greed motivating you. You need somebody to to, to keep you accountable with how you're using your time and with how you're using your money. It's probably not going to happen in a life group. It's not going to happen on a Sunday morning, more than likely. But it will happen if you're intentional in relationships with one another. We need to recognize the let us part of this. We need to be engaged in relationships with other people that we recognize that it's our job together to help one another lay aside weight and lay aside sin, which clings so closely. It hinders us in our pursuit of the mission that God has given to us. We need each other for this church. And then, some of you might recognize, man, I feel like in my spiritual life, I'm just not seeing a lot of fruit coming from me. Just not, not seeing a lot of fruit. Well, one of the things that we might need to recognize is it might be because we're running with too much weight and sin clinging so closely and we're not really laying it aside. You know, one of the phrases when I ran, now I came from a small town about the size of Iowa Falls. This was a phrase we would use, and then the big city runners, when we would compete against them, I don't think that they really exactly knew uh, what this phrase meant. But one of the phrases that we would use if we saw a guy on our team that was running, but it was just like, it just seems like he needs to really pick it up and take it to the next level, we would yell at him to unhitch the plow. Right? It was like he was running and there was a plow behind him. Like, unhitch the plow, buddy. You got to get going. Like, you, you're digging up ground behind you. It's like something's holding you back. Right? And we need to ask ourselves Am I running with a plow? What kind of weight and what kind of sin am I still holding on to that's clinging on so closely and I'm just not really getting anywhere? The command continues then. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And then here's the rest of the command, the second command. And let us run with endurance. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So endurance implies that the race that's set before us is not going to be like this quick, easy, everything goes swell Right or right, right away, right now kind of race. That's what we saw as we went through Hebrews chapter 11. That many of these people lived their entire life without attaining the fulfillment of the promise of God. 
Life was hard. Last week we read the end of Hebrews 11. Remember at the end, people were sawn in two, all sorts of stuff that they did by faith. And so we're told here, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. These first century Christians who, because of their faith in Jesus, would experience increasing hostility and persecution, the race that was set before them was a tough race to run. And they needed to be reminded, you've got to run it with endurance. And you need to make sure that you're running the race that's set before us. Not, not a race that's always going to be really comfy to run. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. A couple of application points with this for us. One, I think we need a reminder that we need to stay on course. We need to be running But not just running aimlessly, running the race that is set before us, right? So uh, three years ago, uh, I ran a marathon. It's kind of my my ambition uh, to run one every decade of my life. So I did one in my 20s, one in my 30s. I'm going to do it as close to 40 as possible uh, so that I don't have to wait. I don't know if I'm going to happen after that. But uh, a marathon is 26.2 miles. Now, I, I got this. Uh, you run a whole marathon, this is all you get. Uh, a little cheap medal and a shirt that says finisher on it, okay? Now, I received these things not just because I was a guy who ran 26.2 miles. I received these things by being a guy who ran 26.2 miles on the right course and ended up at the finish line, right? If I had just been a guy who that day, like going for a 26.2 mile run and I just ran that race wherever I wanted to run it, would I have been tired? Yes. Right? Would I have been exhausted? Yes. Would I get a shirt and a medal? No. Because I didn't run the race set out before me. I didn't head to the right finish line. And some application for us in that as I was thinking about that this week is recognizing that it is totally possible For us to be running the race and getting really tired, running ourselves ragged, and then recognizing in the end, I wasn't even running the right race. So just because you're tired and worn out doesn't mean that you're on the right course. We need to be checking ourselves. In the end of a year, in the beginning of a new year, is a great time to do some of that evaluation. That, 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 that what am I running to? I think this is a, a healthy time for us as parents to look at, at how, we're, how we're organizing family life. What does it look like for us in our family? Because it's super easy. Most of the time when you talk to parents, you ask them how they're doing. Oh man, we're so busy. And then they list off all the things that we're busy with. That's fine. You're running a race and you're tired. But isn't it wise to ask yourself, am I running the right race? Like, like, yeah, they're getting better at what they're doing. They're getting better at their sport. They're getting better at their instrument. They're getting better in school. That, that's good. But are they running to Jesus? And, and how can I, as a parent, help guide my family in such a way that we keep in front of us at all times that the finish line is Jesus. The course that we're running on is the course that he has set before us. 
the course of what it looks like to make disciples who make disciples. That's what my life is going to be about. Is that what our family's life is about? Or are we running ourselves ragged on the wrong course? We need to ask ourselves that at this time of year. And we need to also recognize that it's good to run as a pack. That was one of the strategies that, that runners use in cross country. I wasn't the best runner on our team, but it was helpful when I ran with some guys who I knew. Some guys were better than me, some were worse, but when we ran together, we were pushing each other. And again, we need to recognize, I mentioned this already, that these commands are are, are collective, plural commands. We do these things together, and so we need to recognize, church, that this this work of staying on course is not something that we can do alone. We need to make sure we're running with others who are in our pack, right? Others who are on the same team. Others who are heading in the same direction. Do you have friends? I'm not just talking to students. I'm talking to adults too. Do you have friends that are heading in the same direction? Do you have friends that, I hope you have friends that aren't. I hope you have friends that don't yet know and love Jesus, that you can point them to Jesus, but you also need to have some friends who, who love Jesus, who can remind you to run with them, who can, who can encourage you when you feel like giving up, who can remind you again and again, like these, this first audience needed to be reminded, Jesus is better, don't turn back, let's go, let's do this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. This is the command. And then the last point is this. There's a how that comes with it. I'm thankful when Scripture gives us a how. It doesn't just tell us a what and a why, but it tells us a how. And that's what verse 2 is. How in this world filled with weights that hold us down, with sin that clings so closely, how are we supposed to run with endurance the race that is set before us? Verse 2 tells us how. We do it by looking to Jesus. You see that, verse 2? Looking to Jesus. We need to look to Jesus and who He is and what He's done. He begins by reminding us a bit of who Jesus is. We need to look to Jesus, and He calls Him the founder and perfecter of our faith. This is who Jesus is. Among many other things, Jesus here is referred to as the founder and perfecter of our faith. You might have a translation. It's a hard word to translate, this word that the ESV translates founder. It's a pretty good translation. But yours might say author of our faith. Yours might say pioneer of our faith. Yours might say source of our faith. All of those could be good translations. But the idea of Jesus being the founder of our faith, a founder is one on whom, uh, one who does the building, right? And, it, and it, the word does have kind of a foundation kind of language that goes along with it, right? And so Jesus being the founder of our faith is the one who has authored it, the one in whom our faith is grounded. It's almost as though our faith, remember, I've talked about this so many times, our faith A lot of people talk about faith, but it's just kind of like faith, like this nebulous faith thing. Like, oh, I have faith. Oh, he was a person of faith. Well, faith in what? Faith in whom? Right? Faith in Jesus. Jesus is the founder. He's the foundation. He's the source of our 
faith. And it also calls him here in this passage the perfecter, or your translation might say the same thing my my shirt says, finisher. Okay? It might say the finisher of our faith. The, the one who will see it through to the end. The one who is the goal of our faith. He is the one who is underneath our faith and over above our faith. He is the one who has founded our faith and he is the one who will perfect our faith. It's, it's Jesus all around. So we're looking to Jesus, the founder, the author, the pioneer, uh, the source of our faith, the perfecter, the finisher of our faith. That's who Jesus is. I like the translation finisher. Reminds me of when Jesus was on the cross. Remember what the Apostle John records Jesus said from the cross? Among other things, he said from the cross, it is finished. It's not that Jesus did some work, and then there's a whole bunch of stuff that some other people got to do, including you. Jesus did all that was required for us to be saved, accomplishing it on the cross and in the resurrection He is the finisher. And then the rest of verse 2 will tell us what Jesus did. Looking to Jesus, founder and perfecter of our faith, it also tells us what Jesus did. That he endured the cross, despising the shame. We're saved, not just by the birth of Jesus, but the birth of Jesus happened so that the death of Jesus might happen. So that Jesus would go to the cross after having lived a completely obedient life. The one that you failed to live and I failed to live. We fail to be completely obedient, but Jesus was obedient to the Father in every way throughout his entire life and then is led to the cross. And he endured it, despising the shame, the shamefulness, the public humiliation of the cross, the, 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 the putting a, a robe around him and mocking him, the, the crown of thorns mockingly placed on his head when he deserved the crown of gold. Jesus endured the cross, despising its shame. And Jesus is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is who Jesus is, and this is what Jesus has done. Jesus is seated on the throne, and Jesus does promise to come again. Now, it does tell us also, I skipped part of this verse, it tells us how Jesus did this. How did Jesus endure the cross, despising its shame? How is it that Jesus is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God? The middle of that verse is this, who for the joy that was set before him. Jesus endured this because it gave him great joy. Jesus knew that he had come to do the will of the Father. And this was the will of the Father. And it gave Jesus great joy to do the will of the Father. It gave Jesus great joy to know that he was going to be again in the presence of the Father. That he was headed to be seated on the throne at the right hand of God. Jesus knew this. This was the joy that was set before him. And this was how he endured. And we then, as followers of Jesus, must look over and over and over again to him. Two points of application to close this morning. The first is this. We need to look to Jesus to be saved. It's good to have a great cloud of witnesses. There's people in your life who have maybe faithfully pointed you to Jesus. But ultimately, we need to look to Jesus ourselves. 
the only way for us to be saved, according to Acts 4.12, it says this, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. If you do not look to Jesus, you cannot be saved. Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith. If you're just trying in yourself to kind of add faith to one of you, as one of your like good works that you, you do to kind of impress God, you're going to fall short. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Only Jesus followed God's law completely. Only He has the record that is perfectly acceptable to God. And so only He can save us. If you want to be saved... You must look to Jesus. If you want the assurance that you will go to be in the presence of the Father forever, then your only hope is to look to Jesus. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Turn to Jesus. It's the only way to be saved. And then the second point being this. We turn to Jesus to grow. Those of us who are in Christ, we've been saved by God's grace through faith in Christ. We need to be encouraged to continually look to Jesus. Christmas gives us another opportunity. It gives us an opportunity to do all sorts of things, to see family maybe that we haven't seen for a long time, to give gifts and to receive gifts, also to eat cookies and also like all this stuff, right? To decorate great stuff. It's good. But it's also an opportunity to be reminded that we need to look to Jesus. That's how we're going to grow. I love 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says this, And we all with unveiled face. He's contrasting us with Moses. Remember, when Moses saw the glory of God, he had to put a veil over his face because people couldn't even stand this man who had just been in the presence of God himself. But we, we don't have to have a veil. We have an unveiled face. And what do we do with that face, with, with that opportunity? We sang earlier of the blood that allows us to be in the presence of God. The blood of Jesus shed for us that allows us to be in the presence of God. So we all, with unveiled face, what do we do? Behold the glory of the Lord. And then what happens to us? We're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We need to be reminded again and again, Christian, that the way that we're going to grow and be transformed is looking again and again to Jesus. That's why we're getting together. I know tomorrow's busy for some of you. I hope that you're willing to take some time out to look again to Jesus through the songs that we sing, through the fellowship that we have, and through looking at His Word together. I hope that you pick up a Bible reading plan knowing that only by looking to Jesus this year are you going to grow and be transformed into His image more and more. So, during a busy season that will likely lead into a busy year, during at the end of a challenging year, that might lead into an even more challenging year. In the midst of our lives, plagued with all sorts of weight and sin, which clings so closely, Church, can we be people who, surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely? And may we be a people who run with endurance the race that is set before us. How do we do that? By looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated 
at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's look to him. In a world of danger, we run to the manger. In a world unstable, we flock to the stable. In a world defiled, we worship the child. Oh, come, let us adore him. That's what we're going to do at the end now. We're going to just sing. That song, this fits familiar. That's, the, that's one of the awesome things about Christmas songs is they're familiar. And one of the dangerous things about Christmas songs is they're familiar, right? But there's this refrain in this song, Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. He is Christ the Lord. He is worthy of that. Let's look to him as we sing. Let's look to him as we live the rest of life in 2018 and look ahead to the next year. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you have sent your son, the one to whom Abraham and Moses and Sarah and Rahab and David looked, yet they couldn't see clearly. All that has been revealed to us was not yet revealed to them, yet they were people, though flawed, who lived by faith. And that great cloud of witnesses, now in your presence, calls back to us, reminding us to press on, to not give up. God, help us to feel that surge of adrenaline, not knowing how much longer exactly our race is, but help us to be motivated as we look to Jesus, the author and finisher, the perfecter of our faith, that we would be motivated to press on, believing that Jesus is better that he's given us many good gifts and we're going to celebrate those this Christmas, but he is the best, he is better. God, help us to believe that, that we would again and again look to him, that we would adore him. And that in the process of adoring him, that we would be transformed. Do that work in the coming days, do that work even as we sing this closing song together now. Jesus' name. Amen.